Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. Today's episode is me interviewing a pro player named Jadine Klumperens, I think that's how you say it. Um, so she and I, we had a pretty cool chat for a while and just wanted to get some insight into a little bit more of the pro competitive scene of Magic, and I really enjoyed talking with her and we just had a blast. I mean, not just talking about magic, but just a lot of other things as well too. Just board games, video games, life, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So um, before we get into it, I wanted to announce a little something for Magic with Zuby. I have a somewhat big announcement that I'm going to tease that I hope to say very, very soon. And I just want to tease that out a little bit. And it's all good that you know, it's all good news, and that's all I'm going to say about it right now. So I also want to mention that not only can you find me, find this podcast actually, on iTunes, you can also find it on Stitcher, which is, Stitcher is also pretty cool that you can also find it on Amazon devices, um, Nooks, Android, um, what else, probably Windows phones, pretty much any mobile device you can download that app and listen to it and you can also find me on mtgcast.com which is a really cool website that houses a lot of other awesome magic content as well a lot of other magic podcasts so i implore you to check them out as well to see what other stuff is out there i mean and we all know that mine is the best not really not at all long shot but um yeah so, like I said, um, got a big announcement I want to tease. Probably, hopefully, the next episode I get to say what it is. We'll just have to wait and see. And then, let me see what else. You can find me at on Twitter, at Magic with Zuby. Or you can find me on my personal Twitter. That's at Zubatron, Z-U-B-A-T-R-O-N. Um, where else? Uh, I've got a Facebook uh, facebook.com slash magic with Zuby. What else do I got? Um, oh yeah, I've got a website, magic Um, I have been writing a lot of articles on it. I'm thinking I might slow the article pace down a little bit because I feel like, cause, oh, that's another thing I want to talk about very, very soon. Probably my next podcast. I'm going to test this out is I'm going to do video podcasts as well. I'm still going to do the audio but I'm also going to be releasing video podcasts out onto YouTube. Um, I think my next podcast will be a sort of test pilot to see how that goes and see if that happens. If it's, I'm not comfortable, if it just turns out to be bad for the you know, first couple times, then I'll just stop doing it and I'll just do audio. So we'll just wait and see what happens with that. Um, what other stuff? Um, I mentioned Twitter, Facebook. What else is there? Oh, yeah, my website, magicazubi.com. And if you want to email me any questions or if you want me to read your questions on the air, um, email me at mtgzubi at gmail.com. That's mtgzubi at gmail.com. Or just tweet at me. And I'll be happy to read any questions on the air. So without further ado, here is the interview.
Hello? Hey, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Doing good. Glad we could finally do this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so how are you doing this weekend? Well, I'm still a little under the weather, but better than I was on Thursday, that's for sure. Oh, man, what do you got, like, the cold that's going around? <laughs> I guess, something. Like, it was much worse than a cold before, but now it's kind of died down to just being cold. Oh, damn. Well, that sucks. Yeah, it's all right. <sighs> yeah, so I wanted to start off with, um, I guess, you giving a little introduction to yourself to everybody, and let's just start off with that. Whew, what kind of things are we introducing here? I guess just your magic career, really. Okay. All right. Um. So. Yeah, I guess my like, I started playing magic in like 2008 to some degree. Um, with shards of Alara, um, at Penn State University where I went to college. Um. We it was mostly a draft group. We drafted like four times a weekend it was really great but i didn't really like play much out of that um back then i was also dabbling in Yu-Gi-Oh as like my main card game so i was playing competitive in that and just kind of dabbling in magic and then you know somewhere down the road we switched to playing magic more competitively um tried that for a few years i mean like i spent a lot of time with my attention split between the two games and just kind of like couldn't get anywhere in either but <laughs> uh, eventually we gave up Yu-Gi-Oh for good and then uh made the top eight of grand prix chicago in 2014 and oh wow kind of hit the road running from there oh what? so you're talking about a group of people who else was there Oh, sorry. I, I use the royal we a lot. It's oh. mostly me. <laughs> oh, no. Just curious. Um, yeah, no. I'm just talking about myself. Okay, cool. So you started off doing draft. And um, so what got you, I guess, more interested in magic compared to Yu-Gi-Oh? Um, well, like, honestly, I went to college in Penn State. I grew up in Michigan. It's like eight hours away from home. And uh, card games are, like, the only way I had ever known to make friends. But nobody played Yu-Gi-Oh! there. So I was like, all right, there's a magic club. I guess we're just going to have to learn how to play magic. <laughs> so what what um, what um drew you to it, I guess? I, I guess because I've, no, I've never really played Yu-Gi-Oh! I played it a couple times maybe with my older daughter. I didn't really understand it. Mm-hmm. Seemed well, because I'm so used to magic, I when I tried Yu-Gi-Oh, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Sure. <laughs> um, so, like, I started playing Yu-Gi-Oh, I think, just because my friends were playing Yu-Gi-Oh, or I was young, and I saw the TV show, which is, I think, why most people start playing that game. Um, and honestly, I really liked it. Um, in a lot of ways, I think it's a better game than magic, but, like, the the competitive scene just isn't there, so it's not, like, worth it to play for me if I'm trying to win yeah, I guess that's level. true. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's interesting you mentioned the competitive scene. I went to an IQ once, and there was an also a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament, I guess, going on. And the Yu-Gi-Oh side had more players than the Magic side, which was kind of sad. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, Yu-Gi-Oh is still a really big game. I still have, like, friends who play. Um, but, like, the the big tournaments, like, they're a Grand Prix equivalent. There is no Pro Tour equivalent. And, like, the big open tournaments, like, can't pay out in cash because the company just doesn't believe in paying out cash. So it's all, like, Xboxes. And, you know, it's just it's kind of a joke compared to the organized play Magic has. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's crazy. It really is. So you just went to an Invitational. 
Yeah. And how did how did you do on do there? Um, it was all right, not great. I uh, went six two on day one, which was you know in a strong place to make a run at it day two. But instead of that, things kind of fell apart. Uh, played pretty poorly on the second day, made some mistakes, and ended up ten uh, six or something like that at the end of the competition. And so what place did you get overall? Um, slightly below 64th, like oh, 64th okay. was the last place that cashed. So I, I know I was past that, but not by a lot. So what deck did you play? Um, so the invitationals are split format events. They're both standard and modern. Okay. I played, uh, Naya Nahiri midrange in standard and I played Grixis. Um, I guess you could call it control. Most people do in modern. Ooh, I love Grixis. That's, um... Probably one of my favorite decks in modern. I have a Grixis Delver that I just love. Yeah, um, I don't. I historically really dislike modern a lot, but that deck was really fun to play, and I really enjoyed those games. And I did better in modern in that tournament than I did in standard, which is not exactly par for the course. <laughs> so, um, were you featured at all on that weekend? Because I, I I caught it off and on. I didn't. I, I was not at all that weekend. Oh, okay. uh, I think we were close. And then started losing a little bit outside the range. Oh, okay. So your um, Nahiri deck, what um, what kind of deck is it? Because I haven't really seen that too much. Yeah, it's not seeing a lot of play. Um, it didn't go anywhere at the Pro Tour. It's um, just very mid-range. It's similar to the green-white Megamorph decks that saw play at the beginning of the last format. Uh, with a splash of red for Nahiri. So you have the Death Mist Raptor, Den Protector Engine. You have Sylvan Advocate, uh, some removal spells in Jamoka's Command, and uh, Declaration in Stone. But you also have like this Planeswalker Engine in Nahiri and uh, the three-cost Nisa, Nisa Voice of Zendikar. So you kind of just clog the board in that very megamorph way. And then... You sit back behind these planeswalkers that are just like Nahiri gains so much loyalty at such an absurd rate. She comes down, she's at six. Even if like you play her on an empty board and they flash in a bounding crisis and attack her, she goes to three. And on your turn, she ticks back up to five. That's five loyalty on a planeswalker you didn't defend. And they have to keep devoting resources and then the deck plays like these silver bullet targets for her ultimate in Dragonlord Atarka and Linvala the Preserver um, that can really just get you out of a mess and win the game. The deck's really sweet and here he is really hard to deal with a lot of the time. Wow. Yeah, you explaining it like that that geez, makes me want to play the deck. Yeah, it's really <laughs> cool. Um, I, I think it's really similar um, if people have been paying attention to the Pro Tour results, to the green-white tokens deck that actually ended up winning the Pro Tour in uh, style, in that we're just trying to, like, kind of clog the board and defend these Planeswalkers. And I haven't been able to play at all this weekend or since the Pro Tour, but it's possible that green-white tokens is just kind of, like, a better version of this deck because instead of messing around with Nahiri, it's just killing them after clogging the board. So there might be advantages. There might not be. I haven't figured it out yet. Oh wow! Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't get to see the last match of the Pro Tour, but um, I did watch some of it. What were your thoughts on some of the decks that were sh being showcased? I was pretty impressed with the Pro Tour. Uh, I was pretty happy. Um, let's see. So everybody was scared going in that Bant Company was just unbeatable, and 
yada yada yada, which you know, I didn't think that was going to be the case. It seemed pretty unlikely, but yeah. it, it's very clear now that that's not the case. We had uh, one deck in the top eight, no humans lists in the top eight, uh, which I, I was have, very happy to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't like gone through exhaustively. I I know humans and more bent company were outside the top eight in like the. 8-2 or better decks, and the 7-2 yeah. or better decks, so, like, they're certainly there, and they're a part of the metagame, but they definitely figured out some effective ways to combat those strategies, which is great. Um, the the cleaned-up version of the, the, the Channel Fireball, sorry, Team Ultra Pro uh, Cryptolith Rights deck, the efficient version of that deck that Luis Scott Vargas played to the top 8 is very cool-looking. Just stop messing around, cut out the Ulamog, and just kill them. That deck is great. Yeah, I was very interested in seeing that deck. It was, um, I think I saw one match that LSV did where he was able to flip Westville Abbey on like turn four or five. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, holy crap, this is insane. Yeah, this that, is that, that deck is busted like the games it plays with cryptolithrites like it's like watching a legacy deck or something play against a standard deck it's like how in the world did you get enough mana to play that <laughs> stuff this quickly yeah it's just insane and um it kind of reminds me of just a two-color rally deck mm -hmm. absolutely very similar to yeah, that's it a, that's a very reasonable comparison yeah, the, the one thing I'm not happy about seeing that deck is I know everybody in my LGS is going to be playing that now. <laughs> Where it's just going to be like, oh, great, it's either I join the crowd or I play something to beat it. Sure. Yeah, and I'm not sure how, like, I haven't got to play with any of the decks yet. Um, so I guess I'm going to talk a little bit about what I was writing about this week in my article. So it seems to me from the Pro Tour that people went two different ways to beating Bant Company. They either went in the Louis Scott Vargas or the Steve Rubin way, and they said, okay, Bant Company, you like playing with this, like, clogged board. I'm going to do that, too. So they played green-white tokens, or they played this green-black aristocrat stack, and they put a ton of things onto the battlefield. And they made the reflector mages and the bounding crassuses just look stupid. What are you going to do? Tap down my blister pod? Whatever. Like, all I'm playing are one and two mana creatures or tokens, and these really good, really strong three mana tempo plays just can't find targets that are worth their mana. So you just flug the board, and then you're doing better things with this clogged board than Bant Company is doing. Because Bant Company just doesn't have the tools to break through a board that's clogged this way. The other thing people did was go the other direction and just really decide that boards are not going to exist like this. There was a lot of control in the top eight, a lot of languish decks. Um, so there was the three black languish decks, the John Finkel Seasons Pass deck, the Seth Manfield Control deck, and the Shada y Yasuoka Esper Dragons deck that just had a ton of languishes, a ton of board clears, and played a very traditional control game. And then Brad's uh, Goggles Ramp deck and the... Um, I'm not going to remember the name of the Red White Eldraza, Eldrazi um, uh, Goggles. Luis Silvato. Thank you, Luis Silvato. Uh, his Red White Goggles Eldrazi deck that were just like very dedicated to controlling the board and clearing it. Uh, they had Chandra's, they had Languishes to wipe the board. The red decks had like a ton of spot removal to keep the board clean. And so those are the two different ways people could beat Band Company. You had to either 
essentially what it comes down to is you have to make Bounding Crisis and you have to make Reflector Mage bad, either by not giving them any targets or by not giving them any good targets. And the problem for the Green Brack Aristocrats deck is that the decks that wanted to go the other way and just clear the boards have an advantage over that deck too, because that deck doesn't like it when the when it gets languished. So like the decks that needed to tried to minimize the boards have an advantage over the decks that tried to fight ban on its own turf with clogged boards. Which I think is why we saw like five decks try to control the boards and two decks try to clog them up. Yeah, no, it was very interesting, and the control player in me was very happy to see <laughs> some nice control decks. That John Finkel deck was it just insane. That it's yeah. the seasons pass where it's just like, up, oh, I'm just going to get everything back in my hand. Just like what? Yeah, watch, <laughs> watching that deck season pass turns are absolutely fantastic. Just dark petition for seasons past. Okay, here are all my things. It, it just feels yeah. like you're just like showing your opponent how smart you are when you do it. It's like, hey, do you see how all these things I cost have different converted mana costs? Because I'm going to show you right now that I can bring back all of these cards. It's really great. Yeah, it was it was very happy. I was very like I said, the control player in me was like, this is awesome. I'm glad it's not all just you know mid range and aggro decks that are clogging up. Yeah, you know the screen right now. Yeah, it's but, a um, it's a far cry from the last standard format where it was all mid range. Yeah. No, and um, I was also kind of glad uh, a little bit that Art, that Abyssin wasn't running around everywhere rampant in the top eight. God, because that card's expensive enough as it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, you final, you get rid of the fetch lands, you get rid of the fetch land, battle land, mana base, and now you can't just play colors for free. And the white decks are all play Abyssin, but not every deck will be white. Yeah, very true. So as far as the um, Pro Tour went, I'm sure you've seen, have you been online seeing all the drama going uh, on around the uh, I, yeah. the pro players? Yeah. You have any thoughts on that? Uh, it's hard. Um, I, I agree with a lot of the things I've been seeing online that one of the key things is that it's just not okay to do this to the platinum players who are nine quarter or three quarters of the way into a year in which they've been trying to do platinum and made a ton of sacrifices that they were going to be paid for next year and then not being told they're not going to get that. I mean, like some players have invested, you know, tons of money to hit platinum and all of that reward is coming next year or it was until this. So that, that's definitely a big bait in the switch past that. Um, it's hard. It, I don't know. I've never run the platinum numbers, but people I respect are saying it basically means you can't be a professional magic player, and that is really going to hurt the game if that's true. Yeah, it's um, I'm a, I'm a little bit confused by when they claim you know Wizards is making money more and more money year and year by year mm-hmm. with magic, and then they pull something like this unless they have some sort of plan which they haven't announced yet, saying like, oh, well, now all these people are going to start sponsoring players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to... yeah. The, the sponsorship thing is definitely possible, and we're, I think we should probably wait to freak out to make sure there's not something else coming down the line. But, yeah, barring that, it's really hard. But yeah, I mean, if they do have a plan for sponsorship, why announce all these cuts first? Why not do that in lieu or in line with the, um, you know, hey, we're cutting all these 
costs down, but we're also starting some sponsorship program where Coke or Pepsi or, you know, some big name, big name companies want to, you know, get esports involved and all that stuff or, you know, just yeah. something. Yeah. I, if, it just doesn't seem like a smart mm-hmm. announcement oh, to yeah. do. Yeah, I, the the PR on this was a little really bad. Uh, it's like just <laughs> doing it on Pro Tour Sunday of all days. Like, yeah. poor Steve Rubin, who's talking about his Pro Tour win right now. I know. <laughs> yeah, and just I've been seeing some of the Twitter drama, and I'm just like, it's it's really easy to hate Wizards right now, but mm-hmm. I really hope they have a good reason. Yeah, I mean, they I, have to. I, I hope so too. And if not, like they've. They've been a reasonable company in the past on like changing things when they hear from the community on it. So it's not it's not over over yet, but I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, definitely. And what what are your thoughts of no modern pro tours? Uh, I'm happy about that. I think that that should have happened two years ago when they tried to do it the first time, and then the community was outraged and I think everybody agrees with it now or not everybody agrees with it now, but I think a lot of the people who were outraged last time have come around because they've seen the bannings that wizards has decided to do. If they don't modern needs to be a pro tour and they don't like that either. Um, standard is just so good, especially when they switch the rotation because two years ago we didn't know that standard was going to rotate this drastically every, every time. Yeah. And now that we know that, like, it seems great to have a Pro Tour in each new standard format. Yeah, it's I, I kind of agree with that, especially ever since, uh, let me see, I guess ever since when cons came out, uh, standard has seemed a lot more diverse mm-hmm. in terms of, I mean, I know when cons, it was all Abzan and all that for a long mm-hmm. time, but at least on the FNM level, you know, you would see a lot more homebrewish decks instead of, when I was playing a lot in Return to Ravnica Theros, where it was all mono black, mono blue, you know, control type, where it just got really old after a while. Yeah, I think people, I think people really hated mono blue, mono black standard. But yeah, <laughs> every every format since then has been very diverse. Yeah, and it's um, and now that we're seeing the effects of faster rotation, mm-hmm. we're also hopefully going to be seeing, you know reduction in price for standard as yeah. well because the mana bases right now are super cheap compared yeah. to when fetches were in absolutely uh, and um i mean we have a few high costing creatures like kalitas and avison and all that but for the most part you know casual players can reasonably and en- make a deck and not have to spend that much money yeah which, which is- only brings more players into it absolutely but um yeah it's the one thing I was reading, some people on Twitter were saying, you know, oh, is Modern dead now? But Star City Games, they still hold Modern tournaments. Yeah, Star City Games still holds Modern, and I think Wizards is keenly aware of what they have in Modern, that people love it, that there was such outcry last time they try and kill it as a Pro Tour format. Like, they're going to keep it around. It's still going to be a Grand Prix format. They're still going to show it off in Worlds every year. Like, it's not going anywhere. Wizards is very happy with Modern. It's just not a Pro Tour format. Yeah, because as we saw before, where it... The Eldrazi winter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eldrazi winter. So, were you... um? Do you play modern a lot at all or anything? I, or? I play I play when I have to. Um I'm not oh, okay. I, like I just played it for the invitational. Uh I've picked it up here and there, but uh I don't play much when there's not a tournament coming up. 
Oh, okay. We have um we have modern Mondays at my LGS, and um I go when I can. Mm-hmm. And um my store was lucky enough, or I guess the people there were smart enough to know that Eldrazi Winter was not going to last, and my, my store didn't really feel the effects of Eldrazi too much. That's great. So I was I was kind of lucky in that <laughs> aspect. It it was all Abzan Company and Jund mm-hmm. instead. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So had that, to deal with that. That Abzan Company deck is really good. Yeah, I remember first playing against it, and I'm just like, I, what are you doing? Like, why are you? <laughs> it's like you're playing, what was it, Tree of Wall of Roots? Or... Wall of Roots and Viscera Seer? Like, Viscera Seer? Are you serious? What does this card even do? Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I'm still relatively new to Modern. I've been um only playing it for a few months now. I have Elves and Grixis Delver built so far. And I love elves personally, which I I love it so much that I'm slowly building a legacy elf deck. Those decks are very different. The legacy elves and the modern elves deck. Oh, I know. It, yeah, I I like that. That's one of the great things about elves. It's um I I've been play testing um just legacy elves on cockatrice and mm-hmm. it's like you said it's vastly different. I'm just like love how turn two turn three I can just get crater hoof out. Yeah. And, like, He's like, yep, you're done. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like. I, I haven't played against the modern elves deck a lot, but I've definitely played against the legacy elves deck a lot, and those matches are already pretty in, pretty interesting. It's a it's a pretty reasonable combo deck. Yeah, do you play legacy at all? Uh, I play legacy also when the format or when tournaments demand me to, which was a uh, a lot more often back when uh, legacy was a bigger part of the SCG tour. So what decks do you play in Legacy? I have played, I think, exclusively Teamer Delver in tournaments. Oh, what? What's what? Uh, Rug, sorry, Rug Delver, uh, the Nimble yeah, yeah. Noose, uh, Stifle deck. Yeah. So what deck it, or what? Well, I can't talk right now. I don't know why. It's like I'm getting tongue tied. Um, what? How is that deck played? So you play. Uh, you're a very tempo based deck with Delver of Secrets and Nimble Mongoose and Tarmogoyf as your threats. And then you play Stifle to lock out your... Stifle and Wasteland to lock out your opponent's mana. Force of Wills and um, Spell Pierces and a bunch of one-mana answers and Lightning Bolts. So essentially you're blue for Delver, green for Tarmogoyf and Mongoose, and red for Lightning Bolt. And it's just the most pure... uh, tempo deck that in the format basically you just want to land a threat and then stop them from playing magic until you kill them <laughs> oh that's what i love about blue yeah stifling a fetch land is just such a great feeling oh i bet oh man i've, I've never experienced that but it's got to be funny just seeing their face like fuck are you serious <laughs> <laughs> well, you put them into this like miserable catch twenty two in games two and three when they're on the play and they have a fetch land and they're sitting there and you can see them thinking, okay, do I fetch now and open myself up to wasteland or do I not fetch and leave myself vulnerable to stifle? <laughs> it's a hard decision. <laughs> yeah, the closest I've ever done with that in modern is just Avon Mind Sensor mm-hmm. when they're about to try to fetch something That's and they're just too. like. They're just like, what? Like, yep, sorry. <laughs> Hope your top four has it. I yeah. guess. It, so when it comes to magic, is there any, um, I don't know, do, do you mainly just 
play it for the competitive or do you ever play casually or anything with friends or I at this point mostly play competitive. Um okay. I used to play like in college I played a little bit of EDH. Um not really not really my thing. I liked it. But in general I would rather relax with a non magic game than casual magic. True. Do do you have um any little weird collecting quirks? Like, is there a certain card that you need to collect all the time or anything like that? I, I do not. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like really cool basics and, like, miscuts, but I don't go out of my way to obtain them. Okay. All right, so you said you played a, or you started playing in Penn State, right? Yes. So was that your first time ever playing Magic? No, I definitely played a little bit when I was growing up with my brother. Um, Just, like, buy a couple starter decks every couple years and battle them against each other. What what was your first magic set, then, that you can remember? I consider it to be Shards of Alara, but that was at Penn State when I really started playing. I know I played a little bit. So I remember there was, like, something I was doing with my brother where I opened packs, and I opened... A chroma and phage in like six packs. So whatever set that was, and I have no idea what set those cards were in. Maybe I should go look it up. Yeah, let me see. A chroma and phage. Oh god, I, well, I can't remember what half of these freaking three-letter <laughs> three-letter sets are. Um. Alright, so Phage the Untouchable was in Conspiracy. Oh, that doesn't help me. <laughs> Phage the Untouchable. Uh, Legion? Legion, yeah. Okay. So I played what? a very little bit then. I'm just seeing what Phage the Untouchable does. When it enters the battlefield, if you didn't cast from your hand, you lose the game. When deals combat damage destroy, that can't be your gender. Whenever deals combat damage to a player, that player lo- Oh, fuck that card. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. Man. A phage is one of those ones I remember because my boyfriend has this ridiculous habit of calling any creature with power greater than your opponent's life to- total a phage. It's like, okay, they were at two and this guy has three power, so it's phage and untouchable. <laughs> a handy shortcut for will deal lethal damage. Oh, that that's a nice little. Yeah, it, yeah. It gets the information across once you, if you've been playing for infinity years. Oh yeah. Um. So when did you, or at what point did you realize you wanted to go up in the higher levels of competitive play? Um. So it's like a kind of hard question. Um. So basically, it was as soon as I decided I was done with Yu-Gi-Oh. Because I had, like, always played competitively. Like, I switched to competitive Yu-Gi-Oh! in, like, ninth or 10th grade or something. But there was a while when I was like, this is my competitive game, and I'm just kind of playing Magic for fun at college. So I guess I kind of switched over to realizing that I wanted to be competitive with Magic in, like, 2012, 2013, somewhere around there. Okay. So are you naturally a competitive person? Yes, I would say so. Did you play a lot of sports when you were a kid or anything? Oh, uh, no. I played a lot, I played a lot of chess um, when I was a kid, I think before any card games. Um, went to like chess tournaments, had a 
had some awfully low rating because I wasn't very good at chess, but I definitely played. <laughs> Do you still play chess nowadays? or? I, I mean, I play a little bit. Every few months I'll convince myself I want to play a few games and then I'll do that and then I'll let it go by the wayside. <laughs> so what's, um, when you're getting ready for a tournament, what's your training regimen like? Um, a lot of magic online, like as much as I can fit in. Um, back in 2014 when I was like, that was probably the most serious I ever was and the most winning I ever did. I, uh, I was setting my alarm clock for 6am to, join the 6 a.m. standard daily which i would play and then play the 9 a.m. and then there would be a little bit of a break after the 9 a.m. finish where i could like hang out with my roommates and actually do anything before playing the 3 p.m. the 6 p.m. and the 9 p.m. and then going to bed and waking up at 6 a.m. so okay. that was like 20 tournament rounds a day and I think I did that for, like, two or three weeks before, like, a couple Grand Prix. And how many rounds are in those dailies? There's four each. Like, the, the daily events back then were four-round okay. tournaments. Okay, and so when you're – do you still do something like that when you're getting ready for Star City? or? It, it's harder these days because um, I didn't work back then, and now I have a job. So I try um, to get – a, take a week or two and basically just grind matches on moto it's easier now because there's leagues so you don't have to stick to a specific schedule you can just play when you have time uh and just kind of play as much as i can for a couple of weeks and then hope that that's enough okay and how do you decide on a deck that you're gonna bring um i generally just take the first deck that i start winning with in like and don't move off of it. Um, deck building isn't what interests me in Magic. I know that there's a ton of people that like building decks is what they love about Magic, and that's awesome. Yeah. But it's not me. What I love about Magic is actually playing the games and trying to like the mental game and trying to get in your opponent's head and like finding the really minor gameplay edges and knowing the matchups really well. And all this stuff that just comes from playing just a ton of ton of games. So I try not to switch decks as much as possible. I try and stick with something and so I can know it really well and play the games at the level I want to play them at. Um, I definitely have like a style of deck that I prefer, but basically I'll try out a few of the decks and then kind of pick which one feels the best to me and then work with that one until I become convinced that... I made a mistake and need to audible to something else. Uh, in Kanza Tarkir, uh, standard, I like played Jeskai for a very long time. I top-aided an open with Jeskai at the very beginning of the format. I did pretty well with Jeskai in the Pro Tour Kanza Tarkir. And then I kept playing Jeskai for a lot longer than I should have because Jeskai was only truly competing with Abzan while the Abzan lists were untuned. And then when the Abzan list got tuned, like after the Pro Tour, I just stopped winning and it took me way too long to realize that I needed to switch. Yeah, I, I can remember that on just like a local competitive play. Just 
I because I started off with Jeskai too, but probably not like anywhere near your level or your list. But yeah, I can remember that because Jeskai was my favorite deck <laughs> coming in with cons. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, deck selection is one of the things I absolutely struggle with in Magic still to this day. Just kind of hope to get lucky sometimes with the deck that I end up with. So when you do decide on a deck, um, how do you decide what cards to keep or change, you know, week by week or or when you're just practicing a lot against a certain archetype or anything like that? What's your thought process on that? Um, so generally after playing uh, enough with the deck, I'll have a pretty good idea of like what cards I want to see in what matchups. And then if I think the meta is shifting one way because one deck's going to be more popular, I can know like the kind of cards that I want to have access to more of or the things that aren't going to be as important now. Um, in general in Magic, and I like to not have 80-20 matchups, which is one of the reasons that I prefer Standard to Modern or Legacy because it's a lot harder to have an 80-20 matchup in Standard than it is in Modern or Legacy. So I always just want to find the deck that is closest to having 50-50 matchups across the board and just kind of try and play it as well as possible. Um, which means that there's always some game for me against most decks, and it's kind of just like tuning and realizing what parts of the deck are good in what places. Okay. And, um... <clears throat> oh, shit. You know, see, I'm losing my train of thought here. Damn it. It's been a long day. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> no, but, um... So, do you go to um, any local game stores or anything to do F&Ms or uh, any PPTQs or anything like that? Or um, I play PPTQs from time to time. Um, I play... I, honestly, I try and stay away from local stores for the most part. Um, I just have to do so much traveling that like, when I'm in town and can hang out with my boyfriend, I would like rather do that than play Magic. Um, I don't know. It's rough. So yeah, it's, always, it's always been hard trying to balance, like, if I want to play at local gaming stores or not. It's kind of... I, I also kind of don't enjoy myself a lot. Like, it's not the magic that I enjoy, because I don't like beating people I know or playing against people I know. Like, there's something about the faceless... Um, anonymity of big tournaments that I really enjoy. It's just hard to be competitive and get that competitive fix at the local level. Yeah, I guess I can understand that. Um, an another question, when you're deciding on a deck to play, um, how do you how do you determine like what kind of meta you may or may not see? Is it, you, do you just go by off of what previous tournaments there are? or? Yeah, I, I, I go by feel what's been going on in the recent tournaments and I'll generally have some idea of what's happening online because I play online a lot and then I just kind of like fuse those and try and have a guess at what's going to happen. Okay. And um well when a format when a new set comes in how do you how do you determine like what deck to bring cuz what was it the first um Star City game standard that I saw you in you were, you were doing that red white Nahiri mm -hmm. and what what made you decide that compared to, I don't know, going mono-white humans or something? Sure. Um, so we built a few different decks um, that, in, in this case, I am using a real Wii. And my playgroup, we all had, like, a few different decks. Uh, and basically, I just picked the one 
deck that I built that I thought was the best and had been doing the best and that seemed like it was going to be the most consistent and just kind of saw where the cards went. I mean, like, it's so hard um, if you're not devoting serious resources like the top testing teams are for Pro Tours to know that you have a great deck Um, and you just kind of have to take a shot and just see what it goes and you really have to be more okay with failure at those early tournaments because a lot of the times you are just going to miss the mark but you don't want to like hedge and just play like the not very good lists that are being posted online because like nobody's right at that point and it's very unlikely that any of these decks are good so you just do the best you can and hope it works out okay Okay, now I like what you said there that, you know, you're going to be expected to fail. And that's, um, I, I, that can be hard for a lot of people, yeah. especially when getting up in the first, getting into competitive play. It, it really is. I mean, it's, it's hard all the time. Um, I know, I lost what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, like you spend a lot of time and energy to go to one of these tournaments, like, uh, Baltimore was like a five hour drive for me and sometimes they're longer and to just go to one of those when you're like, eh, maybe my deck's playable and maybe it's not playable and I'm dead in three rounds. That's really hard. Um, yeah. but it is what it is. Yeah, it, it, it is pretty hard. It's, um, I had a whole episode of talking about failure and, um, how tough it can be. Cause I just went to a PPTQ yesterday and I scrubbed out at O and three and it's just, I thought I had a decent red-green ramp deck Mm -hmm. going on, and it just... And, of course, I should have kept the list that I played on Friday night, you know, the night before. Mm -hmm. Of course, I had decided to change it up because I'm thinking, oh, hey, what if I come across this, this, or that? Mm -hmm. And I don't, and I just got wiped, and I'm just like, damn it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things that's really important to just always keep in mind in Magic is that there is a ton of variance in this game, and... One tournament just means so little. Like, you go 0-3, maybe you were the best player in the room, maybe you had the best deck, you still could go 0-3. That possibility isn't even ruled out at 0-3. And yeah. it's that's brutal. That's so hard. Yeah, it definitely is hard because I'm a competitive person at heart. I was, uh, I've been in you know a lot of sports when I was a kid. I did martial arts as a kid mm-hmm. and as a teenager and young adult and, you know, and... It, I mean, it makes me sound really stuck up, but I would win a lot in, you know, sports and martial arts and all that. And so going to Magic and it's, while I don't have the time to compete mm-hmm. and like, especially I didn't really prepare for this PPTQ at all because I literally have no time really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just hard for me where it's just like, well, shit, you think you're going to do good. And then you just turn out to not even be able to win a game. Yep. Or around, you're just like, well, fuck me. <laughs> yeah, it's really rough. And, like, some people in Magic have been playing for so long. Like, uh, you know, like, if you've been playing since the beginning or whatever, like, it can be really hard for, like, newer players who, like, have been playing Magic for a couple of years. I don't even think that oftentimes they understand the disadvantage they're at to, like, the person who has played at about their level but has been doing it for 10 years. That's a long time even if you're not never devoting serious resources to it. Yeah, it is. And it's, um, it, it, it's something that 
is hard to get over. When um when you started getting into competitive play, what was one of the hardest things for you to overcome? I guess mentally or, you know. Yeah, um, that's a hard question to answer because it always feels like there's something I'm working on. Like, there's always just, like, the one big thing in my game I'm trying to fix. Um, I spent, like, the better part of a year recently just trying to keep my emotions in check because, like, it would just be too bad. Like, lose early or make one mistake and then it just cascades from there and we're making too many mistakes, throwing way too many tournaments away and just, like trying to be more even keeled about that um which yeah yeah that that's hard yeah it really really is i think i have a handle on that now 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 i'm not completely sure what i'm working on um but it just goes through like phases like i spent a while trying to make sure i was trusting my reads better where i would like know what they have but just be like unafraid to or way too afraid to act on it, and then I'd lose to the card that I was pretty sure they had. <laughs> that that yeah. that was a brutal stage, but yeah. Just in general, I think um, I think the biggest breakthrough I made was just like realizing that I wasn't very good and needed to work at getting better. And it was actually work that it wasn't just oh you know play a lot play like we call it play testing it's like yeah play have fun and you'll get better at the same time that sounds great it's it's kind of work a lot of the time and you kind of have to not have fun in order to improve and like be really honest about like what you're bad at and what you're good at and really really think about how what to do to get better from here yeah you you make an interesting point of you know play testing and in terms of trying to figure out what you're bad at Mm -hmm. it's um how do you how do you determine what you're bad at? Is it just certain matchups or maybe archetypes or not knowing what to play or when to play it or Yeah, um So sequencing, uh like what to play, how to play it, that's definitely something people can be mad at. It's like really hard in general to figure out what you're doing poorly in magic because if you could see what you were doing poorly, you probably wouldn't be doing it right like if you can see (laughs) that this was not right but like you know like i can watch people play and i'm sure there's people who can watch me play and just be like oh you need to be doing a ton of things that and then i'll like mention it to them and they're like i didn't even consider that and it's like how do you if all you have is yourself and like this is why people are always saying the best way to get better at magic is to play with people who are better than you but like if all you have is yourself how can you ever figure it out and Part of it is making sure to under- try and figure out what your opponents are doing. Whenever your opponent does something that looks strange to you, trying to understand why they're doing it. And then I think the other thing that I started to do, which really helped me, is when I was playing online, was... So this is actually something I still do online, and still... I can't play big tournaments online very well because it's just so baked into my play to be really experimental online. Like, whenever a play comes up and I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is right, but I don't completely understand what it would look like if I went for this line, I, like, it's just baked into me now to go for the experimental line because I view my time playing online as, like, a resource to getting better. It's this chance to make these weird lines and try and figure out what things can go wrong. 
And I think that's kind of an important resource to have to be okay with making mistakes so that you can see how they look. And that's interesting you bring that up um, because I sort of do the same thing online. Like I'll purposely keep hands that I normally wouldn't keep Mm -hmm. just to see like, well, let's see what happens. Absolutely. You know, know, and let me just ask you a question, I guess just for me personally is one of the things I really struggle with is – is whether or not I should mulligan. And it's it, for me, it's really easy to decide, okay, I'll mulligan down to six, especially now with the scry rule in effect. But it's like once I get down to five and I still have a really bad hand, it's like I, I there's a really good chance that I'll keep the five crappy cards. Mm-hmm. And h- how do you overcome something like that when you know you just keep getting bad hands no matter how much you shuffle? some games you aren't meant to win um (laughs) like when you're going down to five and you're like i can't win with this five but can i win with any four like we're in a we're in a bad spot right now um yeah so some of it's deck dependent some decks can win really easily on low cards if they get the perfect draw and you should be more willing to go down further other decks you just kind of have to stick and hope because you're just going to get steamrolled if you go any lower yeah, it's really hard. That's one of the worst feelings in Magic, just like unkeepable 7, unkeepable 6, borderline 5. Like, I guess I have decisions in this game, but they don't know a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things I struggle with personally a lot is is um, whether or not to keep that hand. Because it's like, well, I can possibly keep it. I just may need one more land or or a creature or spell here and there and... It may do something, but it's now this is probably not good advice, but most of the time I follow my gut instinct. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, half the time, it's like my brain's like, no, 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 it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And proceed to lose. Yeah. If you're, I think most <laughs> of the time, if you're five is like one card off, like you just need a land or you just need a turn two play or something. I think it's fine to keep those. Um, Cause you're not going to, realistically do any better on four um if you're more than one card off it gets a lot harder if you're like well i have the three drop i really need but i don't have any lands i just need runner 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 and we're in good shape that that's not great so what 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 do you determine or what are you thinking of when you draw your first seven cards and you decide to mulligan what why is that what 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 decisions are going on through your head um so the very basic level is just like a function check. Like, does this hand function? Do I have lands? Do I have too many lands? Am I going to be able to play a reasonable game of Magic? Okay. Um, past that, I start to look at the quality. Like, okay, so I can play a game of Magic, but I'm not going to be like, is there anything that I'm just going to lose to? Like, is my hand a little bit slow? It doesn't do anything until turn three or four. If my opponent happens to be on mono-white humans, am I just done? And then kind of have to say, okay. So there's like a lot of things, and a lot of it's worst-case scenarios and how much better your sixes look. Since the scry rule, I've been mulliganing a lot more sevens and keeping a lot more sixes. Um, which is, I guess, the intended function of that change, so that's good. But Yeah, I definitely enjoy yeah, that. Um, Post-game one, like once you know what they're on, it's just so much easier to mulligan. Like, if I know my opponent's on 
humans or something, it's so easy to mulligan just. I don't have to worry that they could be on the hand this is bad in because I can just say, oh, yeah, I have to have a plan too against humans. Mulligan. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, going back to when you're preparing or training mm-hmm. for a tournament, do you um put yourself through a gauntlet of you know archetypes or decks or anything to just keep practicing over and over against? Um, not anything so formal. I should. That's a great resource if you like have it. Um, I don't have easy access to people who want to play that I could like run decks against. Um enough so i kind of just like play on magic online and take what i get but i generally play enough that i see all of the reasonable decks so i like get that experience but not necessarily how i would want it um sometimes like my boyfriend plays so if there's a matchup that i'm having particular trouble with or i want to uh experiment with a few different board plans i'll like build it and have him play me and then i get to get that one matchup in when i feel i really need it but as a rule of thumb, I just play Magic online. Okay. So is your boyfriend pretty good at Magic? Uh, he was back in the day. He doesn't really play anymore. He kind of lost interest. Um, but yeah, he he was good and still knows how to play. Does he help you play test at all? I know you mentioned just now, but does he still help you? Yeah, or? yeah. He'll, I can I can coax him into playing games from time to time. <laughs> Do you most of the time beat his butt? Uh, it It's pretty close. Do you guys play any other games together oh, or anything? Yeah, he's or? really big into hobby board gaming. We just have shelves and shelves of games. Really? Um I've been my wife and I have been talking about um getting into board gaming. I think one of the first games I want to get is Settlers of Catan or Catan. Settlers of Catan is very good. What um doesn't that game have a lot of expansions in it too or something? Uh, or? Yeah, there's um um Knights of Catan or something and then uh, there's a water expansion too. I've played all of them. Uh, they're all pretty good. I think the Cities and Knights, that's the Knights one. I think that one is the best one. Is that a good game for like an intro to getting into more board gaming? Yeah. Um, it depends on how many people you have. If you're uh, like probably like three, three or four, four then Catan's like perfect and that's a great game to start with. Okay. Any other board games you can recommend? Oh, there's so, so many. Um, I guess some easier ones, not some of the <laughs> um, complicated ones. After Catan, I would look into Lords of Waterdeep. I think it's one of the easier, um, they call them Euro games, which is the term for games in like the European style, but it's a worker placement, which is one of the really popular board game mechanics, and this is one of the better, simpler, lighter entries into the uh, genre. Euro games, you say, or Euro board yeah, games? Yeah, exactly. Say? I'm typing this out right yeah. now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's just the name of one of the types of board games. Okay. Do you guys do any video gaming or anything? Uh, or? We have all these video games just make taking up space that never get played. Oh, why is that? You guys aren't into it as much anymore? Yeah, or? basically. We just have a bunch of stuff from our childhoods that we have combined together, but just yeah, not find time with, like, too much card gaming, too much board gaming. It's not time for everything. Oh, I know. Trust <laughs> me. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I have um 
I have a fair amount of video games too, and um, it's mo- most of the time my gaming is on Steam now than anything because they're just all those indie games are yeah. so cheap. I, I do, I do. I've played a few indie games lately. I, I lost a good thirty hours to Stardew Valley in the last month. Oh man! Oh, I, I've I've only played about five or six hours. But, um, oh man, let me tell you what, that game reminds me so much of Harvest Moon yeah. on Super oh, Nintendo. Oh, it was so The great. Super Nintendo it one. It was just such, like, nostalgia. It was like, uh, I played the N64 Harvest Moon, and I also played, like, the GameCube Animal Crossing, and it, this game was just, like, both of those rolled into one, and it was so good. Oh, uh, really? I've never played, um, Animal Crossing. Is It's similar yeah, game? Yeah, it's basically Harvest Moon. Those games were all very similar. Okay. Uh, so my boyfriend is just like in the background, heard us talking about board games, uh, sent a text <laughs> message to tell you about um this new board game that we just got in from Kickstarter. It's called Millennium Blades, and the reason it's worth Blades. mentioning is because it is uh its subtitle is or its genre is CCG Simulator Card Game. It's a board game that's trying to simulate the experience of, like, when you're new to a card game and, like, a a, card, a collectible card game like Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh! or any of the other ones, and you're just kind of, like, collecting cards and discovering new combos and being really excited and building new decks. Like, it's literally trying to simulate the feelings of discovery and excitement of, like, kitchen table magic. What? Yeah, it's 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 bizarre. It's like you're like buying booster packs and like uh opening rares and like trying to make decks out of like the cards you have, not like so like, you know, back in the day before you knew the internet or like had access to all these cards and you were just like going through the pile of cards you owned and were building decks, like that's the feeling this game is trying to capture. I'm looking it up right now. It that sounds really, really interesting. I've, that I've, I've only got one play in so far. It's like it's pretty. Oh, it's already out. Yeah, I, do, I think it's coming. Uh, it's not out quite yet. We uh, got it through Kickstarter. We backed it like a year and a half ago. Um, oh. Okay. So apparently, apparently, it's going to be coming out at some point in the future. I am gonna definitely check that out because. That that's one of the things I remember loving because I started Magic when I was ten years mm-hmm. old, and that's what made me fall in love with it. Was I remember one of my first decks was a mono green worm deck from Urza Saga. Yeah, and just it's I I mean I I didn't we never paid attention to half the mechanics mm-hmm. or anything. Yeah, because like, especially Echo, like I was like fuck that I'm not gonna pay the <laughs> mana cost again for it again. But um, yeah, but so I I, I guess. Is it? Or you said you've only played it once, yeah, right? Yeah, it just came in like last week. We've only played it once so far. And so, how how does it? I guess, I, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to understand a board game that simulates what a collectible card game. Is yeah, like? so it's like it, there's like a bunch of cards in the game. Um, okay. So essentially, they took the booster pack idea and they abstracted the commons and uncommons out of the pack so like when you open a booster pack you only get the rare essentially so there's like this real time trading phase of the game 
in which you acquire cards. So you have, like, 20 minutes to buy cards from the store, buy, like, packs from the store, or buy packs from the cards from the aftermarket, because they have something modeling the fact we buy most of our cards from eBay, so you can sell your cards to the aftermarket, you can buy cards from the aftermarket, you can make trades directly with other players, and then you have to make a deck, and you also have to, you have, like, collections you can make that are also, like, worth points, because to get in the fact that some people like collecting rather than playing. And then there's, like, a tournament phase where the decks you made are played against each other and you see how they do. It is, it is a wild game. Yeah, I'm going to have to probably buy this because, well, I'm going to look into it more, but that just sounds really interesting. Yeah. And um, is it, does everything come in with the box? Yep. Like, all the cards yep. you're going to need all, and all, all that? It's yep. not all the cards are there. I mean, I'm sure if it, it gets popular enough, they'll probably do expansion packs and yeah, all that. Yeah, I guess, but... I guess we'll see what happens. Like, I, we've been waiting for this for a while. It was supposed to come out in, like, January, but Kickstarter, you know, it kind of took a little bit longer, and we just got it. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely going to look that up. I, I have the website up right now, and just, yeah. Oh, jeez, you created a monster. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> no, but um, that sounds really awesome. Um, so magic is definitely not your full-time job, right? You said you've got a job. Right. Um, I am a tutor for uh, one of the chain tutoring places. Uh, so I teach kids K through 12 math. Oh, that's cool. Um, did you? Is that what you went to school for? Um, I have a mathematics bachelor's degree um, that I just finished up this semester. So it's oh, not nice. really what I went to school for. Like, I don't have an education focus, but it was. It's it's been a solid job because I've been kind of like torn between the real world and magic, and this uh, was something that I could do Monday through Thursday for like twenty hours, and then have my weekends free. But I'm also uh, taking actuarial exams and have gonna start applying for a job in that field in the near future. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah. So. Sorry. So suffice to say, you're pretty decent at math. I, I am at least okay. I am at least okay. <laughs> yeah, that was math was never one of my strong suits in school, and it's I've gotten better at it. But um, I mean, my job doesn't require a lot of math really gotcha um if i do need to do any math i just use a calculator i'm a i'm a network engineer by day so gotcha yeah yeah it doesn't require much math you and my students both with this calculator nonsense it's like why, why do i need to know how to divide <laughs> i can't computers just do that and i'm like yeah but you're in fourth grade you need to learn long division <laughs> yeah um do they have um common core up there yeah yeah we sure do Oh, what what are your thoughts on that? Because I, because some of the math that, especially like my six year old mm -hmm. does, it's like I, I get I get what they're trying to do, but it's like why? Yeah, I think I think it gets a bad rap. Um, like all the Common Core stuff I've seen is techniques that like I've developed over the years of being somebody who like does a lot of math to help me do calculations in my head. So like. 
they like have this weird way of writing it down and formalizing it, but I'm like able to recognize it as just the things that I do in my head to help me do mental math problems. So I think it's a good idea to teach kids that. Um, I think some of like the horror stories you see about the grading where like, because like a lot of this stuff just shouldn't be done for very long. Like they have this like thing of multiplying fractions where you have to draw out like a box if you're like doing one sixth times one seventh you have to cut a box into sixth one way and sevenths the other way and then count it up it is a fantastic illustration of why multiplying fractions work like that but you shouldn't have to do it every time you need to multiply a fraction yeah that that reminds me of one of my older daughter my oldest daughter's um math homework she was oh what kind of math was it where she was taught one way and I remember being taught a different way, mm-hmm. but my way was like quicker, but it didn't really, I couldn't really explain why, mm-hmm. but I guess the teacher wanted to, you know, have it written down like what each step of the way. I'm just yeah. like, I don't freaking know. Cause it works that way. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I think the common core concepts are all really good, but I think like some of the implementation is really bad. Like you shouldn't care if you're, if the kid like you're you're teaching like this formalized you're like grading on this formalized way of notating the steps and it's just bizarre to make kids memorize that for a grade yeah that's that's a nice way of putting it because it's you know myself growing up it's just we we were really taught to memorize everything Mm -hmm. just you know two times two is four Mm -hmm. and et cetera et cetera and just memorize that this is what this is but it, it's I, I kind of like what they're doing, where they're trying to explain why and how you do certain calculations, mm-hmm. because I don't really remember having that. Not until I really hit high school is when, you know, you start getting to geometry and calculus and all that, where you, they started explaining mm-hmm. more. But from, like, elementary to middle school, I just remember it was all memorization. Yep. So. Yeah, there's not a lot of memorization anymore. Uh, kids still, yeah, I've noticed yeah that. kids still, like, memorize their times tables to some degree um i have i have a lot of students who have troubles with like the sevens onwards of their times table and like grades that probably should have that licked by now but oh well and so do you tutor a lot of kids or Uh, or how does that work uh tutor like two to four kids at a time um i think our center has like 50-ish students and, you know, some leave and some come, but it's like a core of students that I work with most of the time, but I could work with any of the 50 students we have. So I, I probably work with like 8 to 12 students a day. Okay. Well, that doesn't sound bad. So how long have you been doing that now? Um, About nine months or something like that. Okay. So what what's one of your um end goals or... Because I know you mentioned you were trying to get a job doing what – what else were you trying to get a job uh, on? Or? Enter the actuarial field. What's that exactly if you want to – don't mind explaining? Um, so actuaries are uh, – god, it's like such a, a stupid thing to have to explain. Let me go. 
Let me go get a Google definition of an actuary. Uh, an actuary is a business professional who analyzes the financial consequences of risk. Actuaries use mathematics, statistics, and financial theory to study uncertain future events, especially those of concern to insurance and pension programs. For the most part, there are people at the insurance agencies who do the math behind how much this is going to cost. Like, okay, so you have this many people and they're this likely to get sick. So if we use all of these assumptions, it's going to cost us this much. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know. Yeah. I never even know, knew about that. That sounds, sounds hard. Yeah. The math is, um, there's like a lot of like exams you have to take. Um, I have taken two of them so far and there's like a good four or five more and it it's pretty interesting stuff. Like, uh, calculus, uh, base statistics is a big part of one of the first exams. And then there's like a whole bunch of financial math stuff. And it's, it's pretty interesting. It's lot, really cool stuff. Well, good luck with that. That's, um, <laughs> yeah, like, like I said, I barely use math in my own career and it's, I don't know. I'm not sure how old you are, but it's like the higher up I go in the field of networking, the less I know. And it's like, I can remember just first getting into it and, you know, getting a few certifications and getting a few promotions. I'm like, yeah, I know everything. <laughs> now it's like, now I'm getting up into higher positions. I'm like, nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> and it's funny because some of the lower levels, they just laugh at me because it's, you know, I'm just like, all right, I'm making a change to the network. I don't know what's going to happen. They're like, oh, geez, what are you doing? Like, um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not really true, but it's it's just half the time. I'm just yeah. like, yeah, I don't know. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, so. Now, that sounds pretty interesting, though. So I want to talk about, I guess, some personal stuff here. And um, you can just not answer anything if you want. But um, one of the things that I, you know, being a father of two girls, and one of the things that I always, you know, think about is, you know, because I'll play magic with my girls and all that. And, but the, and of course, you notice that there's not as many girls there that play magic you know, at most stores you go to or tournaments and all that. What do you think are some of the things that, you know, did you ever feel, you know, I guess, I don't know, I don't want to say discriminated against. Sure, no. Or something, or, he, or you know, did you ever feel like, you know, a little bit iffy g going into competitive magic because you're a female? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, big events like Opens and Grand Prix are, for the most part, great. Like, there's just so many people, and none of them feel super comfortable most of the time because like, you know, this is nobody's home turf. It's just this huge convention center um, yeah. that like my opponents are always like really pleasant. And I just like, haven't had a single issue at like one of those big events. I know some people have, and like it definitely happens, but like this is part of the reason I stay away from local gaming stores and like smaller events because like the really insular little communities if you don't know anything about them, which is certainly possible when you're trying to do PPTQs and each store can only hold one, and you just kind of, like, show up and you don't know what you're getting yourself into. And sometimes you can have really 
really toxic communities that are just like the base for one of these stores and you just have no way of knowing until you show up. Okay. So is that one of the reasons, is it maybe one of the reasons why you don't go to local game yeah, stores or yeah, a lot? It, just, or? it feels like I really have to vet like the stores that I go to and it's just too much work most of the time. Like the, the my local store, like I know is a very nice place and I can go to when I want, but like trying to go to PPTQs and random stores can be uh, a little bit scary of a prospect. And you know, like most of this is not, like, most of the time, everything's fine. It's just, it's hard. Like, when an experience is going to be so bad, when it's bad, it, like, has impact far beyond, like, its probability of occurring. Yeah. No, I, I think I know what you mean. Um, it's it's one of the things that I get worried about because I took my oldest to a um, game day tournament one time. And she she knows how to play Magic, but she's, you know, she she's a kid. She doesn't really know the ins and outs and she went there and she got steamrolled of course and um but i could tell she just wasn't having much fun because everybody else there were all males and it's just like and i i know the group of guys there i mean they're all really nice and all that but it was just sort of like i kind of wish there were other little mm-hmm. kids or you know e- even kids her age whether they're male or female just it's just it's it's hard because the only other closest store to me is like 20 30 miles away and it's just just not reasonable for me to go there for every Friday, you know? So it's, I guess if you had to, I guess if it was up to you and you were running a store, what would you do to try to, I guess, make it more diverse or try, try to bring in, I don't know, more people besides just males. I I know that's kind of a loaded question. Uh, I think the most important thing is just like monitoring the behavior of the people in the store. And making it clear that, like, certain kinds of jokes, like, offensive, misogynistic kind of humor and things that could make people not feel welcome is just not going to be tolerated. Um, I think that – I mean, so two things have to happen. The The environment has to be, like, a good welcoming place and people mm-hmm. actually have to show up. And there's not a lot you can do to influence people actually showing up, but – there's no way if I was in charge of a store that I'm going to have people show up and have my environment not be welcoming. Like we're going to do everything that we can so that when somebody walks through the door, they find a nice welcoming place and want to stay and not leave and tell all their friends how awful it was. Yeah. Cause I've been, I'm sure you've been to some of those stores where it's just like you walk in and it's not so much that, you know, depending on who the people there, you just walk in, you just get this feeling like, yeah, I'm not welcome. Yeah, here. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I've been to one of those where as soon as I walk in, people just look at me like I'm an alien. <laughs> yeah. Just and oh god, that that store it, it it's closed down now, but it was just so disgusting. Yeah, some stores get real insular, <laughs> just like outsiders. Be warned, you're not welcome here. I mean, not just that, but I mean, like, it was just literally disgusting, like trash everywhere and just, I I remember one, I just went there because I was just starting to get into competitive magic, you know, just, or constructed and just like, I just wanted to ask them about some singles or whatever. And they just, and the guy just looks at me like, oh, I got to go do my job now. (laughs) Like, oh, sorry. (laughs) Guess I won't come back. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get a lot of people who are like not gamers opening game stores like it's just not 
I assume it's just not super lucrative that you get people who just aren't in the hobby like, oh, I really should open a game store. I heard those things are mad profitable. It sounds like a great way to retire. No, the people yeah, no. who open game stores are <laughs> gamers. And like a lot of them, I th- assume, and I don't really have any data here, so I could be way off base, but a lot of them do it for the wrong reasons. Like I really wanted to have a game store someday, so here I am and not – well, I thought it would be great, and I did all this research, and here's my, you know, business plan, and I'm really just going to, like, some do, and it's great, but there's a lot of game stores run by people who probably shouldn't be running a business. Yeah, and I've been to yeah. some of those. I'm sure you yeah. have, too. <laughs> no, but um, it I guess it's difficult, you know, because, I mean, we, we all know that Magic is dominated by right. males in terms of who sure. plays it the most, you know. What are some things that can be done to, I guess, get more diversity going? I, I, I think yeah. Wizards is on the right track these days. They're uh, they're doing a lot to make sure that uh, diversity is seen, like coverage. Uh, Gabby Sparts is doing coverage. Uh, oh yeah, which I saw that this weekend, which I liked. Um, it's um. I, was that her first time doing coverage? Uh, I don't or... think so. I think she's done a couple of Grand Prix in the last couple of months, Houston and Detroit, okay. maybe something like that. But no, I believe she's done it once or twice before. But it certainly is recent. Yeah, because um, I mean, obviously I don't know her or anything, but she looked a little nervous when I saw her the few yeah, times. Yeah, she, she's definitely still new to it. Yeah, but I mean, other than that, she seemed to yeah. do fine from what I could tell. I mean, I'm not I'm not a commentator by any means, but yeah. And like she seemed yeah, fine. I, I, I think she did a good job. Um, but yeah, things like that. And I, I know Magic's doing a lot of things with making like the cards themselves more diverse and um, better and more inclusive. And that's really good. And I think that's going to do a lot. And I think I think things are getting better. Um, I I see more girls these days at big tournaments than I used to. That's for sure. Yeah, I saw um, the PPTQ I went to yesterday. I think, I mean, I can't remember how many players there were in together, but there was about four women mm-hmm. players, and I was actually happy yeah. to see that. Cause it, yeah. Because the, la- the last PPTQ I went to had one woman, and I'm just like, you know, I'm just like, well, shit, she probably feels kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's that's a feeling I've had. Huh? Something had, had to get over at some point, but... But yeah. yeah, no, it's definitely it's getting better. The numbers still aren't great, but four is a lot better than one, and, and it's more often four than one these days. Yeah, so I had a episode um, talking about. I saw an article, or I guess some Twitter stuff. I think about a month or two ago about how they wanted to stop using the word manlands, and I had um, a little bit of a rant of an episode to where I feel like I feel like that that name or not that the name is bad or anything. It's just that I feel like they shouldn't have focused on maybe that maybe they, there's other avenues that where they could focus on making magic more diverse, especially at the local level. And sure. I mean, I, I guess what are your thoughts on that? I mean, cause I think the focus of the article was you should just stop saying man lands because it's not inclusive enough. But my argument was where names like that shouldn't matter as much because it's i feel like i mean un- unless the name is outright offensive yes change it but i mean 
it to me it was just some slang and you know people are always going to have slang going on and it's i guess my argument for it is you know focus more on getting your own area your own local game store more diverse i sure. guess uh so i certainly prefer creature land to manland um i think i agree that either way it's not the hugest deal um Yeah, it's things like that are hard. Like it's hard to say like how much of an a cascading effect uh just the words we say have um Yeah, and I I guess my whole argument for it was to where you know, show me a person who has quit because of manlands and it's t- to me it cuz my whole episode was mainly talking about, you know, we need to focus I think we need to focus more at the local mm-hmm. level of trying to get more diverse people, you know, into magic to where, you know, it should be really more up to the local game stores to get more people in there and make it more diverse, whether it's through advertising their store through you know, whatever means necessary to be able to get more and diverse people there. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right that I doubt anybody's ever been like, oh, they call them manlands. All right, I'm out. But yeah. No, and and I get the other side of the argument too that they're um you know just trying to be more inclusive. But I guess maybe maybe I mistook the tone of the article that you know oh th- this will this will make magic better, you right. know, and all that. But I just feel like no, there's a lot more we could be doing than just worrying about some j- slang and jargon. Yeah, either way, it's certainly a minimal effect. Um, I think in an ideal yeah. world we would say creature lands, and we would also be doing a lot of other things that we're not currently doing. What else do you think we could be doing? I, for me, it all just comes down to making the environments as welcoming as possible. And I don't have a lot of ideas on how to do that, but I do know that there's still a lot of people out there who are um, have awful comments, like just miserable. I, I can't even fathom what Twitch comments look at, but just like a lot of things. Oh, yeah, God. Like, <laughs> I, I closed yeah. the chat because it's just the the Star City Games chat isn't too bad since you got a sub to chat in there, but just like the 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 Wizards Twitch, um, yeah, yeah. no. Like, <laughs> I have to I have to imagine that with like the way that all these internet comments go down, that there's just like a lot of people who have like learned to, you know, act reasonable in public or whatever, but. I feel like the best thing that people can do is, like, when they hear somebody being misogynistic or having comments that say that girls are worse at magic or just any of these things, just, like, be like, that's not cool. Stop saying that. Stop thinking that. Just kind of making sure everybody knows that that behavior is not okay. Yeah, and it's um, it's something that, like, when I go to, you know, other stores or or sometimes even my own store, it's, I sort of like to do people watching, especially if some of my friends Mm -hmm. aren't there and just sort of see how people just Mm -hmm. act in terms of, and it's, and of, of course we all know that magic brings in a lot of people that don't have the best social Mm -hmm. skills as I'm sure, you know, (laughs) and, um, it's just, it just really makes me wonder. Cause it's like, I mean, I would love to be able to, 
you know, see more, I guess, diverse people at my store. You know, I, I'd love to bring my kids there more, but as it is right now, it's like, it's, it's very male dominated yeah. and it's like, I mean, what can I do? I've tried bringing my wife there a couple of times and she doesn't feel comfortable because it's all, you know, and, and of course the whole thing that as soon as a female walks in, everybody has to look and just like, well, geez, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, but I don't know. It's like, I'm probably just <laughs> rambling on now. It's just, <laughs> I don't know. Cause like I said, that whole episode I did, it was just more of, I wanted to basically state that there's a lot more that I think a lot of people should be doing at the local level. And I think Wizards is doing a good job at the top level to where, you know, they have more female characters now. Um, I love Chandra. She's probably one of my favorites. Her her and Jace, which, oh my gosh, her, you know, Jace is so boring. But, I mean, I'm a blue player at heart. I, I like Jace a lot. I, I think he gets some undeserved yeah. hate. Well, he, he, I mean, he's starred in, like, every single expansion lately. It's true. He, he sure it, has. But, um, no, but Chandra is probably my favorite. Yeah, Ch- Chandra is character. great. Um, very strong, hot tempered. It's really cool. I, I've started reading, like, yeah. this story. I never used to, but since they switched to Uncharted Realms, I've been reading, like, every Wednesday, and it's pretty good. I like it. I try to get into that. Um, it's, I guess it depends on what story yeah. you're doing. Um, because some of them, I got to admit, are not very well sure. written, and I can be a little snobbish sometimes. Uh, I <laughs> but, have um, always been a sucker for, like, fantasy. I have read way too much bad fiction in my life, so it does not bother me. Oh, uh, so have I. It's, um, I. But I feel like as I get older, it's it gets a little bit harder sure. for me. Because um, it, it's funny that um, I think a couple years ago, um, cause my wife was really into twilight when the whole twilight thing mm-hmm. was happening. And I tried reading the first twilight book and I, I could barely get past the first couple chapters. I'm like, this is so bad. I, I, I have read I don't know twilight how anybody likes it. Indecent number of times, just, uh, you know, <laughs> probably each book a dozen times. Have you ever read, um, any Dragonlance? Dragonlance. Uh, I don't think I've read any Dragonlance. I think I know what you're talking about, but I don't think I've actually read any of it. Well, if you like fantasy novels, you you would definitely like Dragonlance. Um, I don't even think they make any books of it anymore. But the um the writers when they they, they came up with all the characters playing D and D, and then then they invented this whole world. But um, just speaking of bad fiction, like the very f- first book they wrote, I think um Dragons of Autumn mm-hmm. or something. Um, it's very badly written, but it's just. The characters are so intriguing. Gotcha. So. You know, the first Harry Potter book was pretty badly written. Like, she got, yes. she got, <laughs> and I she just got read it much better around book four or five. Oh yeah, I agree. I'm reading through the books yeah. again. It's that time of year where I read them sure. again. That and Lord of the Rings, where I have to read every couple yep. of years. <laughs> Reasonable. Oh yeah. Do you like I, Lord I of the do. Rings? I do. I haven't been able to read them again in a while, but I, I, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever read on um, the Silmarillion? Ooh, I tried once. I could not stomach it. Oh, God, it's so hard to read Tolkien. There's not, like, a cohesive story to carry me along. Oh, my God, I know. Um, I've only, I mean, I used to be a really big Tolkien fanatic, so, of course, I've read that and all his other stuff multiple times. But every time I try to pick up the Silmarillion again, especially the past few years, I'm like, I can't <laughs> do this. It's 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 like you're reading a, um you know, a school yep. textbook yep. or something. 
And what drives me crazy what he does is he introduces so many characters and then he'll never mention them again. And then a hundred pages later, he'll just bring them <laughs> up again. Or or they might change their name, but they still might call them the old name and the new name. And I'm like, oh, who the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and so I remember one time I actually read through this Silmarillion and had to – I actually got a notebook, and every time there was a new character introduced, I'd write down the name and like give a little short description oh, of who right. they are. I think I still have that somewhere, <laughs> but I'm just like, it was the only way I could remember. Every time uh, the name would come up, I'd look through my little book like, oh, that person's not in here. Write That's a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah, well, like I said, I used to be really sure. obsessed. Sure. So, um, I used to be able to like name off everything, and, and then um. Because I'd always been a fan of Lord of the Rings, and then when the movies came out when I was a kid, all oh, that just made it skyrocket yeah. even more. Yeah, the movies were pretty cool. Yeah, I think the first movie was probably the closest they could get to the book. Sure. If I remember, yeah. yeah. But um, did you? What did you think of the Hobbit movies? I'm not actually sure I even saw them all. I was like really into it for uh, the Lord of the Rings, and then. Man, the fact that they split... I saw the first one for sure, and I think I eventually saw the second one, but I just could not believe that they split The Hobbit into three movies, and I was just kind of... I couldn't stay interested for another trilogy. Yeah, they they really should have split it into yeah, two. I think I, think I, I could have done two. It's just... It, now, I like the movies for what they are, but for them, it's... Oh, God. Why? Yeah. <laughs> And it's, I, oh, I, I mean, I could spend a whole podcast talking <laughs> about the problems with it because it's just, like I said, I'm a Tolkien obsessed geek and it's just, I mean, I, I had fun watching the movies. That's what I did. I definitely didn't get the same kind of feelings when watching as I did when I watched Lord of the Rings, but it was still a very good, I think, uh, not Morgan Freeman. Um, fuck. What's his name? I'm not sure. Mart, Mart, Martin gotcha. Freeman. Martin Freeman. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, Martin Freeman, I think he was he was Bilbo <laughs> in the, those movies. That's good. But, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, you definitely need to check out Dragonlance. Those are a really good series okay. of books. Um, oh, shoot. What are some other good ones? Um, you read Game of Thrones I... at all? Yes. Or... Read like the first three or four, and then kind of didn't keep going. Do you watch the I show at all? I do not or? watch the show. Uh, you just not interested in it, or? Yeah, I don't know. I think I went through a period where I was like, I can't read anymore. It's uh, it's too time consuming, <laughs> too much to read. I'll just never do it. And I've been recently thinking that I need to read more because it's a great thing to do at tournaments to kill time between rounds. Oh, yeah, I bring my Kindle with me every time I go to a tournament because it's just, you know, there's always going to be those few control players that always go yep, to time. get paired. Go to time. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's really calming and relaxing and helps keep me focused, too, which I like. So got to find some things to be reading. Yeah, if you don't already have one, I suggest a getting Kindle. a Kindle. Oh. It's, um, it's, um, I have one of the older generation ones, and... As long as you keep the thing in airplane mode, you know, and I mean, I mean the actual, the tablet readers, not like the Kindle Fire, but as long as you keep it in airplane mode without the Wi-Fi on, that, that thing, you won't have to charge it for at least, you only have to charge it once a That's month. That's impressive. Yeah. 
And um, I think even the new one that just came out, you can be keeping an airplane mode. You have to charge it once every other month or something. Wow. It's insane what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, that's a it. lot. That's a long time. Yeah. So um, some of the other products that are coming up for Wizards is the Eternal Masters. Are you excited about that at um, all? I guess. I don't know. Modern Masters and Modern Masters 2 weren't really, like, big for me. They're cool. I'm glad they exist, but I, I didn't go to either of the Grand Prix in Vegas, so I didn't get super into the limited formats. Um, I might play a PPTQ in Eternal Masters that my local store is doing, so that might be a lot of fun, but eh, I don't care. I don't care too much about it. Okay. And you mentioned that you're reading some of the Magic story. Um what do you think? Do, are you following at all, like, what the conspiracy is behind the Eldritch Moon yeah. or anything? Do you think it's Emrakul? I, I don't know. I hope so. I, I want it to be Emrakul, but, man, I just don't know right now. It's great. Yeah, it's like part of me wants it to be Emrakul. The other part is, like, really another Eldrazi. Yeah. Yeah, I but, mostly want it to be Emrakul because if it's not Emrakul, that means we're going to have to do this whole Eldrazi thing again, and I'm I'm pretty out on this whole Eldrazi thing. So I just want to wrap that up with a bow and move on. Yeah, me too. It's, um, you know, speaking of the magic story, one of the things I was, um, I've always been contemplating because to me, a lot of the sets seem to be, you know, good versus mm -hmm. evil. And all that. I mean, the Kansa Tarkir set seemed to be at least not so much good versus evil. It was what Sarkin going back in time yep. and um, trying. What was he trying to do? Find Ugin, yes, I think Ugin. it was. And then comes back, and then everything's all messed up. I want them to do more stories like that, where it's not just you know, oh, there's a big bad guy, and we got to stop yeah. it. Yeah, I like thing. what's going on with Shadows over Innistrad. I mean, it, it's going to devolve into oh, there's a big bad guy, but like this mystery setting is really cool right now. Yeah, I remember when um, they were spoiling Shadows of Innistrad, and I, and I was really, really not – I didn't really care for that investigate mm -hmm. mechanic, but holy crap was I <laughs> wrong in Shadows of in Shadows of Innistrad Limited. That freaking – those clues are so yeah. good. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah, it's a great limited mechanic. It's really just a great mechanic in general. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, the last um, booster draft I did, I got a um, tireless tracker in one of my um, opens, and yeah. yeah, let's just say I I overran everybody. <laughs> I bet. You're drawing cards and <laughs> getting plus one, plus one counters? That's great. Yeah, it was insane. It's it that That's what made me fall in love with clues. I'm like, yep, I could clue all day. Fantastic. And, um, and I saw someone do this homebrew of a, what was it, green, blue? Was it green, blue, or green, white? I can't remember. Where they just basically did like this life gain with clues and just like, I mean, it was a terrible deck, but it was just, it was fun to watch. Sure. And all that. Do you, um, so you said you're still pretty much in the just doing competitive. You don't really do a lot of the deck building, so you don't really build any fun decks sometimes? Uh, I, I certainly don't build any decks, like, for fun. Um, I will build decks from time to time if I really think there's an aspect, but always a competitive mind to it. Okay. So I, I, I want to bring an idea over to you. I've been trying to mull in this modern deck, and I, I know you don't play a lot of modern, only when you have to. It's um maybe, maybe I can text you the, the build. Sure. For, hold on, let me pull it up. 
Because basically what I'm trying to do, and I I really don't think this is going to be anything above like an F&M level. Okay. Um, I'm trying – basically my idea is it, it's sort of like an artifact explosion okay. deck. And I've been trying to mull this over for a couple weeks when I have time to build it. I mean the first iterations of it. How do I text you now that we're – okay, here we go. Wait. No, no, no. I don't want to text you the list. I want to text you the link. Hold on. I'm really good at computers. Hold on. <laughs> Even though I work on them for a living, I'm really good. Okay. I don't know if you got yeah, the link or not. So this is – I mean it still needs a lot of work on it, but it's sort of – I don't know, I guess I just want to see your thoughts on it. what could be done better with it or – it's I, I originally had um scu- uh, what is it scuttling doom engine because I loved that card back in M fifteen especially in limited sure but he was just way too expensive right and I I could probably cut out the generator servants for it or just to get him out of there but I just use that mainly for I don't know for any other spells I could cast or all right all right so we're like flinging artifacts at people because we got these shrapnel blasts and we got these. Collateral damage is kind of the Kadaltha rebirth. We got the Iker Well Springs. Uh, we got we got the okay one right okay, and the Isochron Scepter. All right, huh? What else could we play in here? Yes. Yeah, so, um. What one thing I was see? I don't want to make it just like affinity right. like. Right. Because it, it, it's really easy just to start adding affinity creatures to it to make it, you know. Better. Right. Or or Mox Opals. Yeah. yeah. Um, so these Generator Servants were, like, probably super sweet with Scuttling Doom Engine. I'm not sure they're as good yes. without it. I think we're only giving case to, like, Hangerback Walkers and, like, part of a Pia and Kirin. That's, like, not as exciting. Yeah, that's true. It's he, he just he was from my yeah. first list when I had scuttling. Yeah. Wow. When is it like another sweet artifact that we can play? What about? Oh, what is it? Meyer Sire is it? Oh. Or no, Mir Sire. Mir Sire. When when Mir Sire dies, put a one one colorless Mir artifact token. Yeah. Pulling it up. All right, so it costs two. Yeah, the- okay. So this thing, the mirror. Yeah, this guy. Yeah, that guy could be sweet. And I was also thinking perilous mi- mirror too, but that that just feels like. Eh, I'm just sort of like eh about it. What How about we- like uh, like a, uh, reckless bushwhacker with all these like Kadaltha rebirth tokens. And signal pest and mirror tokens. Ooh, reckless bushwhacker. So if I played, I don't know. Yeah, because I definitely want to always try to play it for its surge yeah. cost. So like on turn three, we could be like Kadaltha Rebirth, make three goblins, reckless bushwhacker, attack for eight. Ooh, I like that. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> I might have if to we had a that. signal passed out ahead of time, it's like way more than eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, and let me let me write that down. Reckless bushwhacker. 
And the other thing, I haven't even thought about the sideboard for this yet because I know there's because that that's one thing I hate with Affinity because because they just makes my deck so much weaker <laughs> oh, automatically. Oh yeah, because you've got all these <laughs> artifacts and all these anti-Infinity people are like, all right, this is gonna be great. Yeah, yeah, screw you, buddy. Yeah, that's a hard one. <laughs> I don't know about yeah. that. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I could probably just take some of the sideboard from Affinity or maybe some burn right. too. But um, now it's like I said, this has just been a deck idea I've been trying to mess with for past couple weeks. Originally, what it was was I wanted to do insole artifact Affinity budget sure. type thing because that was um one of my favorite decks go when M15 first came in. But I did sort of like an insole artifact control type thing. And then when Mike Segrist was at the, what, Pro right. Tour, was it, and did his insole artifact thing? Oh, I, f I, played, I played that for so long. and That deck was sweet. Oh my gosh, I loved it. And um, so I've always been in love with that insole artifact, but I just feel like it's too freaking slow, and it's so easy to just get rid of. Yeah, I, I th there's so many Colagons commands floating around these days. Oh, I know. But I don't know. Well, no. Thanks for the thanks for the tips there, Reckless Bushwhacker. Maybe I'll try Mirror Sire. And... Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I really wish I could fit Scuttling Doom Engine to this because God, that card would be so freaking awesome. Yeah, I mean, that that card is sweet. Like, yeah, it might just be like a completely different direction, like a big artifact deck. I mean, I could always fit it into. Um... Maybe some weird mono red Tron yeah, type thing. That's interesting. Where it could just be like the Tron lands, mm -hmm. um, have worm coil engine, mm -hmm. scuttling doom engine. Yeah. Or maybe and, or maybe that's your board plan for this. Like they bring all their anti aggro artifact stuff and you're just like scuttling doom engine. Getcha. <laughs> that would be awesome. Oh yes. <laughs> Bring in generator yeah. servants and scuttling doom engines and keep the shrapnel mm -hmm. blast. Yeah. Oh, that'd, that'd be, be That'd be sweet. They just have, like, a bunch of artifact stuff and you have a generator servant? That's hilarious. Done. Oh, it's done. It's going in the sideboard. It's done. <laughs> done, done, done. Oh, that'd be awesome. Thank you. It's going to be the best. No one will expect Nobody it. Nobody will ever. expect it, that's for sure. <laughs> Game one, Kadaltha Rebirth, Reckless Bushwhacker, Getcha. Game two, Scuttling Doom Engine, Turbo. <laughs> I just gotta see the look on their faces like, what the what the fuck are you playing? It's like, don't worry about it. You're dying. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, see, that, that's one of the things I like doing in Magic. It's I don't do... Especially now that I'm getting more into the competitive scene or trying to when I when time mm -hmm. permits, is um I'm not doing as much crazy deck building as sure. I used to, like that. And I think that's probably just a byproduct of you know you just want to play the best deck or 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 at least play the deck that's going to beat the other right. best decks, you know. Yeah. And it's um I try not to lose that side sometimes. That's fair. I mean. Yeah, I, I I have never understood the whole deck building thing. I don't I don't know why because it's so resonant with so many people. But like I definitely am well aware that like everybody seems to just love deck building. 
Yeah, it's um, like I said, it's something I used to do a lot. Like whenever a new set comes out, it's like, ooh, well, I want to build this. I want to build that. And then you just start building all these mediocre decks, but you don't have that one good right. deck, you know, that you focus on. And in, um, for me, that's kind of hard because it's not that I really have ADD. It's just sort of I get bored sure. easily. And um, it's something I've I've learned to control a little bit, especially the past few standard formats. Because before I would just spend way too much money building these decks. Where now it's I'll sort of pick a deck or two and just focus sure. on that. And um, yeah, it's it's because <laughs> <laughs> it's like I see these other decks like um oh gee like some, like that um seasons past deck that John Finkel yeah. played. It's like I I want to play that so bad right now. <laughs> that deck is sweet. But it, well, you you gotta wait yeah. for the Pro Tour Gauntlet on Moto. That's gonna be awesome. Oh yeah, that too. Oh yeah, that's um. You know, I never did try that. I don't play Moto as much as I do because um, it's I because to me it's I can afford both. But if I'm going to be spending money on anything, I'd rather spend it on gotcha. paper. No, that's fair. That that that's why um, if I do want to play test online, I do mm -hmm. Cockatrice, which I don't know if you ever played that. It's terrible. <laughs> I, um, I have tried a couple times, and I can't get past how terrible it is. I mean, it's not so much the UI or the interface, it's just the yeah. people on there. They're yeah, terrible. Like, and, yeah, I think if I had a bunch of people who wanted to test on Cockatrice and we could sit over Skype and play, it would be serviceable, but I would rather just play Moto. Yeah, that, that's yeah. the only time I really play it now is with yeah. friends. Because, um, and I swear, I, I, I don't know, because I, I, I've done like a little test to where... And this is just the conspiracy nut in me, where if I play the same exact deck on Moto, I can do fine and win some games. But if I play that same exact deck in Cockatrice, I can't draw worth a damn. <laughs> it's like, I swear, it's like the randomizer or the deck shuffling deal on Cockatrice is against me. It, it doesn't want me to, you know, do well. But if I goldfish against myself, that I draw just fine. It's like, I, I just think it's, I think it's against me. Weird. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just a little, my little conspiracy nut theory. I just think, yeah. Yeah, you know. No success on Cockatrice. They're out to get you. It's fair. Exactly. But, um, alright, so one of the last questions I want to ask before we wrap this up is, what's your favorite magic card? Like, of um, all time. I'm going to say Bioblight. Bioblight, that's an interesting I answer. like Bioblight a lot. <laughs> Why is that? Um, because I really like cards that are punishing. Well, A, because I've seen my greatest success because of Bioblight, but also just like that clause of all other creatures with the same name is just so great. It just punishes people for building their decks to play more copies of their best cards. It's fantastic. That's fair. <laughs> It would not be a bad card right now in standard, it would be but great. Oh. yeah, especially against all these bank company and yeah. white human crap. It would be so good. But um, oh, there was crap. What else I wanted to ask you? Oh yeah, the um, before we go, there was that um, crap. What was what was the city the Star City Games was in before the Invitational? Was Baltimore, it Baltimore? Yes. Baltimore. So when you were on camera against what was it, yeah. Harlan? 
you both had those crazy board states. <laughs> what was going through your mind during that? I, I meant to ask that earlier. Um, for for most of that, it was what it was like a little bit of frustration that like I knew I should be finding. So basically, my plan for most of that game was to find one of my declaration and stones and kill his Ormandel and then kill him. And after a few turns of draw go, I knew that I should be able to come up with a different plan to kill him that didn't involve finding a declaration, but I didn't think there was enough time on the clock to sit and think about it, so I kept doing the same thing, and I was just getting frustrated that I couldn't think of anything else fast enough. That was a crazy game. Yeah, it was. <laughs> what was um, what was Harlan playing again? He was playing the precursor to the green black uh, deck that Scott Louis Scott Vargas was playing, uh, except he had Ulamog in his Cryptolith Rites deck. Oh, uh, okay. But um, yeah, I just remember watching that on screen and just like I, what the heck just happened? Because I think I was watching from the <laughs> beginning and then I had to go walk away for like couple minutes or whatever and i come back and i see this crazy board saying like what the hell just happened yeah it was it was crazy uh yeah so when you're playing on camera like that is it pretty nerve-wracking at first when you first were yeah doing it, it definitely well i don't know I, I was actually not that bothered my first couple times on camera um and i think it's because they happened like really late in tournaments and like really important spots and it was like the camera wasn't the pressure at that point. Like, I think my first camera match was a winning in for a Grand Prix. Um, my first two camera matches were Grand Prix Cincinnati, two winning ins in a row into the top eight of uh, of the Grand Prix, and I lost both of them. And like, the pressure the camera added was just nothing compared to the pressure I was under just because of it being a winning into a Grand Prix. So. That was a good way to start. And then, like, when I started getting camera matches, like, earlier than that in tournaments, those were a little bit nerve-wracking at first because, like, I wasn't under a ton of pressure from the tournament, so I could feel the camera pressure, but I grew accustomed to that at some point. Okay. No, that that's interesting. Um, so I guess one of the last questions to ask is where to go – where do you go from here for Magic? Um – I, I've been taking it, like, tournament by tournament, just trying to see what happens. Um, I I guess I stopped caring about success a little bit ago so much, and it's just like, I just want to play the best magic I can. I just want to be as good as I can, and then see where the cards fall from there. Okay. Well, that's fair. Um, do you have any shout-outs you want to do, or any mentions, or anything like that? Where can people find um, you? You can find me on Twitter, uh, at TheQuietFish. Um, I write every week for uh, TCG Player, magic.tcgplayer.com. Um, those are the best ways. Awesome. Well, I just want to thank you for coming on and taking time to, you know, meet with me and interview with me. I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, uh, that's right. about it. Yeah, Thanks. you're welcome. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you. All right. You have too. a good night. Bye. All right. Bye.